Language localization can be a bit of a minefield. Between the US, the UK and good old Aussie land, we're all technically speaking the same language. So how hard could it be? Quite hard, actually. Today, we're covering the differences you need to know to take your copywriting global. Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters and that's where you'll find courses and coaching for copywriters of all levels. And with me, of course, is Kate Toon. Hello, my name's Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School, a membership shop, directory and course, Nirvana. Who wrote that? That's terrible. Well, we've got copywriters tuning in from all over the world. We know that because you write us awesome reviews. But while it's easier to get clients from across the pond thanks to the interwebs, there are differences between writing copy for Australian, British and American audiences. And that's what we're digging into in today's episode. You might think that writing for clients in each of these countries is as easy as choosing the correct language in your spell checker, but in reality, the differences are a lot more complex than just swapping an S for a Z and vice versa. Kate, have you written much copy for overseas clients? Well, I guess for a while I was overseas, so I've obviously been a copywriter in the UK and Australia, and I've had a few American clients, not not very many, um, but I've also worked for a lot of global brands where you kind of have to try and write copy that appeals to people in all markets. So yeah, not, not a huge amount lately, but in my time, I've written for British, Australian and American, and there are a fair few differences, I think. So it's going to be fun to dig into that today. Mm, Yeah, most of my copywriting has been for Australian clients. I've had a sprinkling of US clients over the years, one long-term US client that I still work with. And I mean, in our proofreading episode, I mentioned that I sent international copy to Scribendi our sponsor. And I asked them (laughs) to not only correct the language, um, but to highlight when I've used Australian language and phrasing that won't be understood. And I'm often surprised by what they pick out. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the obvious ones. We just had a in-depth conversation. I mean, this isn't actually a different word, but yogurt and yogurt, that's just pronouncing it, but that's, sorry, that's not right example. Biscuits versus cookies, flats versus apartments, yards versus gardens, trunks versus boots, Wellington Um, boots versus, what do you call them? Gum boots? Australians call them gum boots. I don't know what Americans call them. Do they even have rain boots? Yeah. What the heck? That makes more sense than Wellington boots, but you know, we invented them so we can call them what we want. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, but, and I think it's also idioms, and I think we're going to come to idioms uh, later in the show. I have, I'm, I, I almost feel that I'm excruciatingly British sometimes in the way that I write. Like, I pull these, like, ridiculous British phrases that are actually nonsensical and drop them into my copy, and I'm sure Scribendi would have a field day with my copy. It would just be, the entire copy would just be struck through. <laughs> What the hell are you talking about? But you, you know, you are like obviously super bogan. I'm joking. She's not. (laughs) She's quite, but you're quite Australian. Are you making yourself understood in America? Or do people just like look at you and go, sorry, your name is what? Belinda? What do they say? Um, Well, I I am making myself understood, but but it is barely. And and it's, it's when I don't know when I've said something that someone won't understand and I just get blank looks. So I'm learning to pick out the blank looks and say, is everyone still with me? And, and an example is when I was at 
my kids' preschool and my second baby, Oswald, had just been born and everyone was, you know, cooing over her and I was like, oh, she's really just, you know, still a wrinkly little sultana. And it didn't really get a laugh and I thought, oh, that's fair enough. It's not that funny. (laughs) And then eventually my friend Liz leaned over and went, no one here knows what a sultana is because sultanas aren't a thing in America. There's so much wrong with America today. That's, <laughs> I think that's the, that's the root cause of all the problems in America. Right. As yeah. well as, you know, and there's also, I have gone to, oh, this caught me up so many times where I'd arrive and say, sorry, I'm late. The freeway was chockers. <laughs> Blank looks. Yeah. I'm like, okay, is that not a thing? And then I'd have to explain it. So, so I get a lot of, I, I have to say a lot, oh, is that not a word here? Is that not a thing? I didn't realise and I can only do it when I, when I get lots of uh, blank looks. Yeah, um, I have that too. I mean, I, I more have brain burps where I'm in Cole's supermarket and I'm on the self-serve thing and you have to weigh your own vegetables. Yes. And I literally can look at this green tubular item in my hand for a good 10 minutes and go, what the hell is this called in this country? Mm-hmm. And I, it's called as, it's called a courgette in real life, but in Australia it's called a zucchini. And I've had to actually go to people in the supermarket and go, "What is this?" Yes, and they must just think you're a 44 year old woman. <laughs> get out of the house more. I think lots of people get confused by my slang. Also, I do have a problem of actually just making up phrases and stuff. So you know, mad as a badger is one of my favourites. Mad as mad as a bag of hair. Classic. Um, you know, and I don't. Even, I'm not even sure if they're British to be honest, but um, people That's often skinny. get confused. Yeah, but, but I think the thing is, I think <laughs> I'm going to say something so inappropriate now. Maybe we'll edit this out. Like British people talk properly, don't we? So, <laughs> so everyone understands us. It's the rest of you. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's so wrong. I've, I've got such a cut glass, perfect, beautiful English accent. Of course so. you do. Of course. Although I'm do. sounding a bit Cockney at the moment for no reason. Um, <laughs> It's just like Uh, I went to a party the other night and there was another Australian there and I went fully, fully bogan within about two and a half minutes. I do it all the time. I actually, if I meet any from from California, because I've watched so much of the OC and the Real Housewives, I just literally start to mimic them. And they clearly think I'm taking the piss. There's another one taking the piss, uh, having a laugh, poking fun. and, And I'm not. I just can't help myself. I've had to explain that many a time. Taking a piss. Taking the piss is not a thing here. One of my favourites is dropping the kids off at, a po- at the pool. Do you know what that one means? Yes, I do. <laughs> if you don't know it, Google it. Bye. <laughs> anyway, those, those are some of like those easy things, like easy phrases and words that a good proofreader or editor can pick out. But we are going to dig deeper than this, people. We're going to yes. dig deeper and find the things that are more, I think, more tonal than just easy words to highlight. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I would say Aussies enjoy a certain freedom of expression and a kind of deep appreciation for honesty that goes across all forms of communication. Like we like people to tell us how, tell us how it is without the fluff and hype. And that's reflected in, I think, how we shorten everything up. Bugs, Arvo, Davo. Yeah. Bottle-o. Bottle-o. Yeah. The bottle-o. That's an important one. Yeah. I mean, when I moved here from the UK to Australia, um, I actually worked at an ad agency when I first got here, Singleton at Ogilvy and Mather. So it was Ogilvy, but it was run by a guy called John Singleton, who's a, I think he's, he's been known as an Aussie larrikin. Do you know what I mean? He's a of course. boy done well. Um, and the difference in, we're going to talk more about this again in the episode, but the difference in the way that advertising was just done. It was like, 
in us in England, you know, you'd really be, it's different now, but you'd really be trying to come up with a quirky concept, some really kind of clever language, plays on words, puns. You know, you, you had to be smart about it, juxtaposition of weird words to really make people go, oh, Australia, it was like, this is too is new. It tastes nice. That was it. It'd be like a man with short shorts and red knees. That was the ad. There was no hook. There was no, it was just like, it's nice, drink it, it's cheap. That was it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's different. I think Australians, there's, there's much less of a tall poppy syndrome. There's much less hype. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Australians respond very well to people bigging themselves up too much. I mean, I think that's an essentially a very American thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And the yeah. whole American dream and success against all odds really, really has people responding here. And, you know, we're, we're talking about the kind of stories you can tell in your copywriting that will get your audiences hooked in and responding to you. I think these um, super success stories and celebrity endorsements and things like that can kind of seem a bit obnoxious to people around the world, but they there's nothing wrong with pride at all. And that's not what we're saying. But I think um, Americans really respond well to these big success stories. When we talked to Kira Hug um, and we asked about the differences between US copywriting and other countries, Kira pointed out the focus on conversion copywriting, you know, making the sale is, is pretty much everything. And, you know, conversion copywriting is obviously a thing in Australian and British copywriting, in all copywriting. But I think it's safe to say that Australian and British customers need a bit more fluffing before they buy. Like we don't like to be sold at we don't like to be forced into a buying decision. And I think a lot of businesses talk about having copy that's not too salesy. I'm often, you know, would get told, we don't want it to be too salesy. And that means we don't want to push people into the sale. And, and for, in marketing terms, I think that means for Australian and British audiences, there needs to be a longer runway to build trust in content marketing or something and stuff like that. And, and maybe the copywriting needs to meet objections, meet more objections. Whereas, Americans can kind of get to the sale a lot faster. Um, I love your inappropriate use of the word fluffing there as well, which is another word which has many meanings, um, which I've used in front of American audiences and they look at me absolutely appalled because, uh, yes. Anyway, moving don't on. Don't Google that, listeners. Don't Google Do, that. Don't, don't Google that. Um, I think it's true. I think, you know, when I, I, I actually, what I find interesting is when you see Australian like entrepreneurs um, who have worked with American copywriters and they bring that tone sort of into their Facebook ads and their LinkedIn posts and it's that whole, I was at rock bottom, you know, I didn't have a pot to win and now look at me, you know, and it's all like, you know, and you can see that they've had some kind of American copywriting coaching. Yeah. And I think there's a, I think that something that's occurred to me while listening to you there was, I think Americans, are, American copywriting is a lot more we, 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 so the, the we, we test. We're great at this. We're not ashamed of it. We guarantee this. We do this. I feel like Australian British copy is a bit more about you. You want this. It's a bit more empathetic, maybe. I don't know. We're making sweeping generalizations here. Um, yeah. So if you're listening to this and thinking, God damn you, how dare you say that? We'd actually love to hear your feedback. Yeah. Um, because this is just our perspective. And obviously it would have been quite, quite good to get an American on the show. To, to, we've done it with Kira, of course, but to argue with. Um, but there's a confidence in American copywriting, especially conversion copywriting. There's, a, there's a, almost a brashness, yeah. a brashness to it, don't you think? Yeah, and it's all about how the readers will respond. Yeah, to those totally. That's, yeah. that's everything. 
And the next thing we, we, we were going to talk about um, uh, sort of testimonials. Is, is that right? We were going to yeah. talk about, you know, when you're trying to pull together testimonials for maybe for your client or for yourself, you know, British people are by our very nature, we're very self-deprecating, you know? So it's very hard for me to say anything about myself without slightly taking the piss out of myself at the same time. I can't just be like, it's, a, I've got, it's actually a problem with me that if someone gives me a compliment, I'm like, yeah, but... <laughs> I cannot just say, yeah, thanks. You know, yeah. thanks. I am. I am really gorgeous. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, the idea of saying how great our products and services would make us kind of cringe a little bit. And I find that with my, my British clients. They're like, oh, we can't say that. So often what I have to do is put those positive words into the mouths of others. So, you know, like we can't say that our brand is great. So let's get some client testimonials that will say that um, and of course all copywriting needs testimonials but Australian and British businesses tend to feel more awkward about having lots of testimonials on display like it's like showing off mm-hmm. um, and if you're writing for an Australian or UK client who seems reluctant to display lots of social proof you have, really do have to talk to them about how it's how it's super powerful now you, we're going to talk about $10 words I think you're probably better at explaining what $10 words are than me yeah so $10 words um Uh, just overly complicated language that is simply there to make the author or the business, the speaker sound cleverer. And it doesn't, it's, it's a difference. Like sometimes there is a very precise word that is precisely the right word to use. And sometimes it's just words full of hot air. And that's what $10 words are. It's just overly complicated language. And um, the point I was going to make was, I think American customers are more likely to respond to slightly more complicated language. I think Aussies and British people can call out fluff for what it is as unnecessary in most cases, sweeping generalization. Um, but I think Americans generally speaking, um, respond a little more like they do think, um, more complicated language sounds more professional and cleverer and stuff like that. Whereas I think, yeah, Aussies and British people like it, tell it how it is. Don't bring lots of language in just to sound smart because you don't. I agree. I mean, I do, you know, I think there's a big, you know, obviously a plain English movement in England and in Australia, it's very much, you know, be conversational talk like you're talking to your mate. But I think in, in Britain, I think sort of academic slightly, lyrical language is 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 appreciated do you know what i mean cleverness we're going to talk about that again but you know cleverness is appreciated so i don't know i think again it's it's all about understanding your audience which we talk about you know ad nauseum um but i think yeah i i, I don't know i don't I've never, i don't know if i i if, if i can give a good answer on that i mean well, i know that personally i I love it when I come up with something that sounds super duper smart and clever and uses lots of long words. It makes me feel glorious. Um, but then in my copy that I write for my audience, I always kind of cut, throw that away, throw away all my smartness and stick to plain English. It's a shame, really. It's a well, dumb, you know, dumbing down. Um, well, straightforward isn't, isn't the same as dumbing down. True, true. That's what true. we say. But I mean, an example, I just find it interesting that over here, for example... Toilet when she says story. over here, she means she's in California. Right yeah, yeah, California. Um, so toilet story coming up. But when I when I first got here and I would say, Oh, you know, where's the toilet? People would look kind of shocked because the oh, yeah, toilet it's bathroom, refer- isn't it? Yeah, or restroom. Oh. And so the first answer I got was, 
it's in the restroom. And it was like I was asking where the physical bit of poo. Where can I poo? That's what you're <laughs> saying. Right. Yeah. And I find it really interesting that there's this kind of veneer of polite language. Yeah. That over the top, over the top, and I just I find it really interesting, and I just have seen a lot of um, ads and commercials and copies here. They're just it's all just slightly more complicated language, and I think people respond to it a little more, more polite, so. maybe. I mean, even more, even more polite than England. Like in England, you'd be like, "Where's the loo?" That's what you'd say. You wouldn't be, yeah. "Where's the toilet?" You would say, "Where's the loo?" Have you got a loo? Can I go to the loo? And and that's like. You know that's next level, isn't it? I guess rather than may I wash my hands or where is the, where are the restrooms? Where's, please? where's the restroom? Yes. Yeah. My daughter has started saying restroom. Do people rest in there? Do you think actually rest? Well, if they're know. like me, I can take a nap wherever I am. Yeah. Well, sometimes you lock yourself in the restroom just to escape all your yeah. thousand children. You I'll got take. Ah, anyway, the next line says, it's almost contradictory, isn't it? So I'm, I'm going to work out what I was going to say here. Um, I think that we feel like we're pushing the sale. We don't, we don't like to feel we're pushing the sale. Yeah. We like straightforward language. Americans perhaps like more highbrow language, uh, but you don't need as much fluff for the sale. I mean, I don't know. Listeners, what do you think about this? What, what, what do you think? I mean, I think the biggest difference for me is humour. Yeah, yeah, that's the one for me that really stands out. As I said earlier, I think Brits, British people love cleverness in marketing. Um, they, they just love it. You know, like a clever ad, wow, you know. Uh, the economists are great ad- examples. Yeah, they are. And it's highbrow. Really yeah. You know, sometimes it's like, it's like the cryptic crossword. Like there is a pleasure in it in knowing that not everyone else will get the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, that niching down that they've been so... You know, it's like when they, some kind of political joke that requires you to know backgrounds and also some pop culture and also this, there is a delicious pleasure in getting the joke, but the pleasure almost comes from the fact that you know that other people won't. For sure. And that's why, you know, I think that's, it's obviously very snobbish, but I'll I'll go with that. I think Australians like to tell a good joke. Um, And as as you've written, you've written here, which I thought was really funny, Brits like to know they've got the joke without being told. Like, you know, Australians, they're happy for the joke and they're happy to be given the punchline. Brits like to work it out a bit more. Like maybe the punchline isn't even there. The punchline's what you think of after you've read the ad. I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I remember when my husband and I, because he's he's a Brit, when we first started courting, um, he would often say when I was trying to amuse him, he would often turn to me and say, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And eventually I remember him saying to you, you don't have to keep explaining the joke to me, Bill. (laughs) I was just, that was the first time I was aware that I was even doing it, which was awkward. The The awful thing is when someone's actually got the joke before you even finish it and you're like, yeah, I already get it. It's not that funny. That's what happens to me. That's, that's, that's a bit sad, isn't it? And you were, you were gonna, you were saying as well, which I find like actually horrifying that direct mail is still big in America. Like it's totally oh, yeah. dead here. Huge, and I mean it's fantastic for me because I get all this fodder for my course and to do yeah. reviews and to talk about and stuff like that. But upon landing here and setting up a bank account, we just get a constant stream of long form direct mail from everyone and everywhere. And it's, um, I just, I never got that in Australia. And so I think that I can see why there's a focus on direct response copywriting, which, which seems very apparent in a lot of copywriting groups over Mm. the US, Mm. this this talk Mm. about direct response, just more so 
than in Australia and and Britain. And I think part of that long form copy is is the storytelling. And we talked about the, the kinds of stories that people respond to. So, you know, it's knowing your audience, knowing what kind of stories they're going to respond to. Is a success story, does it need to have an underdog? Does it need to be humble? Or can it be outright, I'm freaking awesome and this is this is what I did. I overcame the odds. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 again, I think, I think British people don't respond that well to success stories. You know, mm. we like we like the struggler. We like the person who's coming second. You know, like we're pl- we're, we're plugging for the underdog all the time. And you yeah. know, the people who do really really well, they get cut down very very quickly in England. It's a, you know that tall poppy syndrome we talked about. So yeah, yeah you know, again, it's yeah, and I see a lot of this on Facebook in the long form ads that you see on Facebook for like six figure entrepreneur courses. You know. They don't resonate with me because I'm like, ah, oh, bugger off with your Porsche and your, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, no, exactly. And I don't care that you've come from nothing. My eyes. Yeah, she, th- there should be a noise for eye rolling. We should just have like, <laughs> every time yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, I still think you can use success stories and case studies, but I think it's the, the tone of them just needs to be brought down a notch. You can't be all like, booyah. Yeah. And I think, I think in America, you can be booyah. People are proud to pat themselves on the back and other people encourage it. And I'm, in life, I think that's a great thing. I think we should yeah. be allowed to celebrate our successes a bit more. But I think here you have to kind of do it quietly behind a cucumber sandwich in Britain sorry (laughs) well I think with Aussies as well we love a success story if we feel like everyone's had a fair go at it yes yeah I like that we like our fair go the fair go is such a thing isn't it yeah but you know what's really interesting like this one of the things I love I love watching the ads here is you can name your competitor in an ad here Really? So you could say, you know, like in Australia and Britain, you say, compared to the number one other brand, brand, yes, you know, we're awesome. Here you can say, use us, like we're Coke and we're better than Pepsi. Wow. Naming awesome. shame them. Yeah. And it's and there's a lot of um, oh God, so many medical um, you know, pharmaceutical commercials. So there's a huge amount of pool marketing. Ask your doctor about mm. this particular drug there's every second ad is is an ad like that so I find that different approach to marketing it's not so much the copywriting but yeah there's lots of um long form ads storytelling ads pull marketing ads which is fascinating as a copywriter but you know it's funny it makes me actually it actually makes me realize how few ads I actually see anymore because I don't watch commercial television anymore. I'm, you know, I'm watching Netflix and Stan or, or iTunes downloading stuff. So I don't actually see that many ads anymore. Um, but I do find that, you know, Australian ads, they are very straightforward. I don't, they're getting better, but I, I actually miss the wit of British, like, Watching the ads in England is actually quite enjoyable because they're funny and often there'll be storytelling ads and they'll be like, they'll carry up, there'll be serieses and, yeah. you know, it's, they actually, the ads are enjoyable. Not all of them, obviously, but, you know, the classic Australian ad would be like a bog off sale. Buy one, get one free. Yeah. It's something's warehouse. We've got a bog off sale. You know, just some man shouting for two yes. minutes. That yeah. is Australian. Yeah, that's Australian advertising. Do you know what I mean? It's good. It's too easy. Drink it. That sort of thing. <laughs> Do you remember the um, Peter K ads in in the UK for that? No, oh, I love Peter God, K. Oh, Peter K is brilliant. Um, but yeah, that was like a series of ads for a. Um, it was a an ale. 
Yeah. I'm going to send you a link after the show. Well, maybe we can put it in the show. One of my favourite British ads ever was it had a woman called Maureen Lipman. I think it was for British Telecom. And it was just about her son going off to university. Again, classic, classic not even funny i don't know why they were funny but they were so funny so we should put a couple of our favorites into the show notes for this yeah, show you can absolutely and if you've got a favorite american ad or australian ad or british ad that you love why not like send it into us because i love i love watch i could i love watching classic ads don't oh, you? me too and this is why i love the christmas ads from the uk oh they are Oh, Marks and Sparks, that's so good. Marks and Spencers always do a good job. But yeah, it's like a thing. It's like a thing when Selfridges, Marks and Sparks and Sainsbury's and everyone. It's the same as the Super Bowl in in the States. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We do it for the advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? All right, well, let's let's wrap it up with some tips. Okay. Summarize it in two, really. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess mine, and I think this is very relevant to me is just be careful about using more casual language we often talk about being conversational in your language and that's great but know your audience so you know often I do let localisms slip in but they're not local to Australia unfortunately they're my my, you know my brain was formed in the UK and I do sometimes have clients sending copy back to me going I don't get it I don't get what that means Mm -hmm. so I think just be careful about that don't take your conversationalism into slang or it could just not make sense to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. And my tip is use an editor or proofreader who knows the local local dialect really well. Um, If you're proofreading your own copy, that's great. You'll pick up the typos, you'll pick up the spelling mistakes. That's fantastic. But it's just the casual little references that might be different. You know, it could be as simple as this week and next week. I found living in the UK and living in the US, that is something that a lot of people is it is this week this week now or this week coming i've had what? i know it seems like a really straightforward this thing this week is this week and next week is next week what are you talking about <laughs> but you know fortnight not a thing in the us what right you need to come home quickly <laughs> what do you mean they don't have fortnights it's not a thing so what what do they say they say like in 2 weeks in 2 weeks what what a waste of words <laughs> That's our, and they don't have crumpets. Do they have crumpets? I found a crumpet dealer. Do they have pikelets? Oh, no, you know, I actually introduced pikelets and fairy bread because I say and, and sultanas and sultanas, sultanas. Yeah. Okay, oh. introduce zucchinis and courgettes next, and aubergines and eggplants. Do you know? Just before we go, say goodbye, I had a similar grocery story kind of self checkout incident because the Swede is called rutabaga. What, what, what? So no, I it's had, not. You're just making go. stuff up now. <laughs> they call Swede rutabaker. Yeah, is it Swede or is it turnip? One of those that, that Simon sent <laughs> me just, to the shops to make a Literally, my brain has just gone boom. <laughs> rutabaga. And I had I'm, to ask. I was like, what is this thing? And, I, of course, I asked a 17-year-old. She was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> to get the whole it's story an involved. <laughs> it's an onion. It's an ugly apple. Um, <laughs> There was so much to Google out of this episode. We've got fluffing, we've got rutabaga. There was something at the beginning of the episode, I can't remember, but lots of fun Googling people at the end of the show. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's finish, please. Go. <laughs> Regular listeners know this is when we give a shout out, and I am happy to report we've had a bunch of new reviews come in. So this one is a shout out to Over the Hill Chris from the UK. This is without a doubt the best podcast on copywriting I've found, and I've tried quite a few. It's just the right combination of fun, actionable tips and tricks, and quality info. Get these hotties in your ears, <laughs> and you'll not regret it. Oh, get these hotties in your ears. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. Can we get that on a t-shirt? Yeah, that's a That's mug. awesome. That's made my month. Uh, that's, so- made, that's made my fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, so if you've got opinions about what we've said, we do want to hear them as long as you agree with us. Um, <laughs> we also want to hear about your favourite ads from all around the world because we love watching ads. But if you've got comments, leave them um, on hotcopypodcast.com or on our Facebook page or you can catch us on Twitter as well. Um, So that's it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Belinda. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts, I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We always have the, um, you say yo- yogurt? Do you say yogurt? Yogurt. Why are we even friends? <laughs> <laughs>